the show you're about to hear discusses films, books, and TV shows in their entirety, twists, endings, and all, without fear of spoilers. So if you don't want to know who dies, who done it, or how it all ends, we strongly advise you switch off now. Hello, I'm Paul Tyler and welcome to Spoiler, the show which reviews movies, books and TV shows in their entirety. This week, we're taking a look at John Williams' 1965 novel, Stoner. Now, Stoner's an unusual book in that the first page pretty much tells you how it all ends. So there's nothing for us to spoil here, but nonetheless, we will be talking about everything that happens throughout the book. We will ruin it for you. So if you haven't already read Stoner, go away, read it now, then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right, on with the show. Many an unsuccessful author must daydream that their genius will, at some point in the future, be properly recognised. That their books will be belatedly discovered by a grateful public and be critically lauded and festooned with awards. For most, it remains just that, a daydream. But in the case of John Williams' novel Stoner, that's exactly what happened. The book tells the life story of William Stoner, son of a hard-working and modest Missouri farming family who's sent to university to study agriculture, but becomes enamoured with English literature. The love of literature, of language, of the mystery of the mind and heart showing themselves in the minute, strange and unexpected combinations of letters and words, the love which he had hidden as if it were illicit and dangerous, he began to display. The book follows Stoner's unexceptional life as he turns his back on farming and becomes a teacher, endures a loveless marriage and professional frustrations, and finds fleeting happiness in an affair with a student. He contemplated the failure that his life must appear to be. He had wanted the singleness and the still connective passion of marriage. He had had that, and he had not known what to do with it, and it had died. He had wanted love, and he had had love, and had relinquished it. When Stoner was published in the US in 1965, it sold just 2,000 copies before quietly slipping out of print the following year, remembered by few. It hardly mattered to him that the book was forgotten and that it served no use, and the question of its worth at any time seemed almost trivial. Then, nearly 50 years later, something strange happened. Stoner suddenly and unexpectedly became a bestseller. The book's rebirth began in 2006 when Edwin Frank, editorial director of New York Review of Books, Classics, was given an old copy of Stoner and decided to republish it. Its success spread slowly at first, but gradually gathered momentum, largely by word of mouth. By 2013, Stoner was a bona fide hit, republished in 21 countries and named Waterstone's Book of the Year here in the UK. Tom Hanks said it was one of the most fascinating things you've ever come across, while The New Yorker called it the greatest American novel you've never heard of. What did you expect? He asked himself. Back in 1965, Stoner's lack of commercial success was no surprise to Williams. Sometime before the book was published, he wrote to his publisher saying, I have no illusions that it will be a bestseller or anything like that. The only thing I'm sure of is that it is a good novel. In time, it may even be thought of as a substantially good one. John Williams died in 1994, so wasn't around to see his novel's delayed popularity. But why did it take us nearly half a century to discover Stoner? Lust and learning, that's really all there is, isn't it? 
Later in the show, we'll be taking a look at some other books which took a while to capture the imagination of the reading public. Right now, I'm joined in the studio by a man who put the ram in the ramalama ding dong. It's Andy Goulding. <laughs> and the woman that just for the hell of it removed the bop in the bop shoe bop shoe bop. It's Rachel Burnett. Hello. Hello. So now, you, now, now you know what I was laughing at earlier, Rachel. Right, okay. Uh, right, so it was, it was Andy. Uh, that chose this book uh, for review. So we'll go to Rachel first. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Rachel, now, as we've heard there, it's, it's taken a long time for this book to find its audience, uh, but it should have been kept hidden away under a rock, shouldn't it? No. Oh. No, 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 no. No, I really love it. I didn't know I loved it so much until Andy made us read it. Um, I had read it. I skim read it maybe years and years ago without fully taking it in, but this time I properly read every single word and you need to read every single word. It's beautiful. Okay, well, all right, I'm going to take you to task here. <laughs> Brevity is key, but beautiful. Why? What makes it beautiful? It's the prose, it's the language. It's just stunning. It's poetic most of the time. It's absolutely, it's just beautiful. Just beautiful. Okay, dokie. Now, Andy, I'm hoping that you hated it. So, um, now, when you, I mean, you suggested, you suggested this book, didn't I you? I did, yes. And it's called Stone. I envisaged uh, a 90s drug romp. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not the slow. Now, some, some have said, only a few people have said the word turgid. Uh, story, <laughs> story of a university lecturer. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting this. Why did, why did you bring this to the group? Uh, well, I, I had never heard of this book. I, uh, for a little while, while I was working in Lincoln, I got obsessed with Oxfam Bookshop and I used to go in there and, and pick up just whatever took my fancy. And I spotted this on the shelf and I was just somehow drawn to it. I mean, the, the cover isn't anything special. It's just a, a pile of books. And so I thought, oh, I wonder what this is about. And turned out I ever had a look. And basically the blurb gives you the same kind of opening spoiler that the book does, that William Stoner is a fairly unremarkable man he dies and his colleagues don't remember much about him. He has a, a small dedication and then he's sort of filed away in in history. And I thought, well, how can you fill a book with that? So for me, the interesting thing was to find out how on earth they were gonna they were gonna make this novel out of what seemed like such a slim idea. And I have to say, I think it's an absolutely phenomenal book. I think it, it's great writing, not a not like, I'll sort of, oh, try the sandwich, it's great. But, you know, like, <laughs> great writing. Like, I, I really think this is up there with like the best writers of the era. Like, sort of, I'd put it up with Harper Lee, with uh, Joseph Heller, with Salinger, all, all of them. I just think it's, it's so, well, I mean, Rachel's used the word already, but I think it's so beautifully written that it, it just grabbed hold of me instantly and, and drew me in and... I loved every minute of it. You see, you got past the introduction. Now, were we were we not doing this? I got I went and got my, my copy from the library, uh, and I sat down um, ne- ne- next to the Brayford Pool here in Lincoln, lovely place. Sat down with uh, with a drink, and I opened that introduction. And I thought, my God, this is going to be what? Oh, what a terrible a terrible introduction! It's just there's, there's nothing in, inviting or enticing at all. Now you've got to agree with me there. I mean, you were you were a very strong man, Andy, for for, for ploughing through that. I, I put it back in my bag and I read Paul Merton's autobiography instead. <laughs> and then I, I actually I actually took it back to the library and I spent a very short amount of time thinking, how can I get away with this? How can I? Is the, I looked, you know, I maybe thought, oh well, I might look online uh, because you know there's there's stuff on there. Someone, someone, some kind of book group are going to discuss this. I'll be able to blag my way through. <laughs> now, it, as the responsibility of this program's host, 
I didn't do that. So I downloaded the audiobook so I could listen to it while I was doing the washing up. And it did, it, it chipped away at me. And I, I tell you what I did, I fast forwarded through the introduction because you always know, skipped fast forwarding. How 80s am I? Um, <laughs> I you know, I, I skipped over it. I skipped over that introduction and actually, you know, set, set through the pace. Um, the, the narration uh, on the audiobook, uh, a chap called Robin Field, I believe, it's, it's a slow, it's a slow burner, but it does and it, it chips away at you. And I, I, I think it might well be and I, eventually I'll probably end up buying this book, but I think it might well be a very different experience listening to this book um, than the experience that you two had by, by reading it. What do you think, mm. Rachel? Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, I actually didn't read the introduction. That is something I never do. I never read introductions to books if there's something that's written by someone else. And mm. I think it gives too much away. I'll come back to it after I've finished a book and go, right, what did they want to say about that? But I just there's too much in it and I just want to come fresh to it. So I avoided that. As far as spoken word goes, yeah, I think I have such a distinct voice in my head for Stoner and the narrator that I, I kind of don't want anyone else to, to speak out loud for mm. me. It's, it's so And it's so intimate as well. I'm, I think Andy's probably got this too. It's such an intimate book. It's such a small story that I don't know. I hold it very close to my heart and I don't think I want anybody to, to have a voice that isn't one that I've already got in my head. Mm. Well, the very few critics that are out there might not call it intimate. They might say... Nothing happens, but <laughs> but it's, it's, I mean that's obviously obviously not true. But it, the reviews for this book are just outstanding. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, actually, when you say that you know you don't read an introduction, is it would would you say you would uh, do you read reviews of books or things like that because you don't want again you don't, you don't want to give too much away or mm, it depends. I try not to. I, I must admit, I tend to just read the blurb and get a small idea. If it looks like it's giving too much away, I'll stop reading it mm. because I do like to come really, really blind to it and come very fresh to a book and not have too many preconceived ideas. So, well, I'm listening to this, I mean, there's, a, there's a, a bit early on which, again, would normally put me off because they start waffling on about Shakespeare. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, you've got you've got something written down there, haven't you, Rachel, about the, the, the sonnet. Now, I was listening to this walking through a nature reserve I, 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 and it's autumn uh, and, and the leaves were there. I mean, just pick, don't read the sonnet because, you know, reading these things out loud is, is, is pretty atrocious. But um, just there's a bit, is, can you pick out a, a couple of lines there about the leaves falling, Rachel? Yeah, there's a bit, well, right at the start, it's at that time of year thou mayest in me behold when yellow leaves on none or few do hang upon those boughs which shake against the cold bare ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang, which for your walk through the... Through the woods is pretty amazing. It's actually. the first time in 39 years I'd connected with Shakespeare, mm. even after going to his house in Stratford-upon-Avon, which was very nice. But um, So I chipped away, I chipped away, I carried on plodding away, and a journey on the M25 um, that, you know, <laughs> saw me really, really take to this book and then get involved and understand the character. Um, so let's, let's talk a bit about Stoner himself um, and... There's something enduring about the guy, isn't there, Andy? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, the thing I, I love so much about... Uh, well, one of the things I love so much about this book, there are many, many things that I love about it, but it's incredible the way that John Williams did describes Stoner's feelings and thoughts without really putting us in his shoes. I still felt almost like I could, I could empathise with him, but I felt like I was Stoner having an out-of-body experience watching myself, and... Even though we, we do get deep into sort of his psyche, it all seems at one remove. I felt like I was reading body language rather than reading reading a description of how someone feels. It it just it just made him so real to me. And so some would say that there's nothing remarkable about this man. There's no big melodramatic outbursts in his life. He seems to take everything in his stride and I mean, even though you could say not a lot happens 
if you look at the things that happened to him in his life, he has a lot of burden to carry on his shoulders. And somehow he, he just, he, he takes it all on and he manages to keep this dignity through everything. And in a way that, that makes him so much more appealing than sort of your big kind of William Wallace style heroes or freedom. And <laughs> Stoner is just, he encapsulates dignity for me. I'm just so, so impressed by him as a character. But it's not just... Uh, stoner that's written so well it, it's Edith and I think probably what you're saying in there uh, Andy is what, what hit me I, I think the, probably the point that I realised that this was was such a good book and so well written was when Edith's um, father dies and her reaction after the funeral she spent several days in her old room the room in which she had grown up it was thought by callers that she was secluded in her grief they were very close Edith's mother said mysteriously much closer than they seemed. But in that room, Edith walked about as if for the first time, freely, touching the walls and windows, testing their solidity. Finally, she arranged all of her childhood belongings neatly in two piles. One of these consisted of toys and trinkets she had acquired for herself. The other pile consisted of those things that her father had given her. It was to this pile that she gave her attention— Methodically, expressionlessly, with neither anger nor joy, she took the objects there one by one and destroyed them. And then all of a sudden you create in your own head, it's not that not none of it is written on the page, but by the, the clues he gives you, you've written up a complete backstory of, of what happened uh, in Edith's past and childhood. You know, it's, it's there, isn't it? And he's obviously a great writer for women as well no absolutely i think he writes women really well and sadly i mean Catherine driscoll who's later on in the book such a fantastic woman and for me reading her i just i want to be her i think she's fabulous um but also i mean there's his daughter there's grace and there's edith his wife and yeah these these characters are just so well drawn and i think andy you were saying that there's sort of a step back and i think that's true because you then have room to project yourself onto it. If it was all completely there, then you'd have no room. But I think that's why when I read it years ago, it was one book and I've read it now and it's another because I've had more experience, more life experience and I know people better. And so you can put that projection in. The one thing that occurred to me is that I have a, a theory about whiskey that I'll like it when I'm around 60, uh, because I think the last time I had it, I was sick through my nose with it. And uh, it'll, it'll come. Whereas this, I think, you know, I'm, there are elements of this that I relate to now, just approaching 40, just knocking on 40's door. Um, but it, it, there, there will be things that come. So I, I, I think, like I say, I, I will eventually buy this book, although let's hope they recover it with a better cover. Because as we know, as we know from our, our thing about us, no book covers are good these days. Not one of them. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to start, start a Facebook group. So I'm going, I'm going to buy one with a better cover and I'll, I'll sit there with a vintage whiskey and hopefully the two will meet. <laughs> I'll be sick through my nose again. One of them. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, the extent of the other characters in it, they're, uh, they, he writes again... Oh, so well, I'm going to. We, none, none of us like to talk about how good the writing is anymore because that's getting boring. <laughs> uh, but we, uh, when you look at characters like uh, Lomax and Walker, and mm. uh, and that you know, sort of the um, 
Again, it's the evil side, but you know these were the baddies in it for me when I look in my layman's terms. Um, but again, they don't appear in the you know their characters aren't don't appear in the book, but there's this underlying tension of them there, particularly after the affair uh, and and him forcing the affair to end. And I think that was the point that I really, really started to care, and that was it, the caring bit, you know, because you think oh, just one thing to go right, just one thing to go right. But then I started to question myself and my own opinions on things because you know an affair is not a great thing. Um, and then also think well I see Edith is very a complicated person it, it does actually seem quite unfair you know there there are elements of Stoner that he's not so put upon that he's been reasonably unfair in carrying on with, with, with that marriage really yeah there's an element of that I think they're so trapped and it's also of its time don't forget it's also 1965 um, when it was written and it's set further back than that and so marriages were sort of not quite what they are now and I think there was an element of arrangement about it for her and and for him in a way. So I think they kind of got stuck and there was never an, an idea that they could ever get divorced. I don't think that was ever in no. in his mind or hers, even though gosh, she just never seemed to want to be anywhere near him. But she never sort of posited the question of going or anything finishing. And so, yeah, when Catherine came along, oh, she was this glimmer of hope and light and it was so carefree and it was so wonderful and you just knew it was going to go wrong and you just you got to that element well you didn't have that when you were listening but when you've got pages to turn you're going oh I really don't want to turn the page <laughs> and it's, it's just so tragic so yeah even those element of yeah okay he was married and affairs is never good no matter what but Oh, we just wish that that could have worked out better somehow for all of them. Mm, and talk of the affair. I, uh, like I said, I listened to a lot of this on a car journey and uh, I pulled into a, a fast food car park. We're not mentioning any names. And um, sometimes young people like to hang out in fast food car parks. You know, they've got their first car, their first, uh, you know, tiny one one litre car. Uh, and they, they pump their music out in the in the car park. And uh, I pulled up and I was just getting to, I, I wasn't even thinking, I was miles away. I was in, so involved in the story. And uh, I opened the door <laughs> just as they were getting to probably the only intimate part in the book uh, and received some funny looks. <laughs> I, oh, no. Oh, just wanted the ground to open up. Uh, but I didn't. Carried on. Home. What, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Nothing <laughs> wrong here. Um, okay, so later, Rachel will be taking a look at some other books, which, like Stoner, were not an immediate hit. That's all after this short break. Now, making a podcast isn't expensive, but there are some costs we need to cover. And to be honest, it would be nice to have a few quid to keep us supplied with coffee and cake. And that cake might keep my stomach from rumbling while we're trying to record these bits. Now, you can help us out by visiting our webpage, spoilerpodcast.co.uk, clicking on the donate button and giving whatever you think we're worth. Uh, alternatively, if you're planning on buying anything from Amazon, if you do that via the links on our website, we'll get a few pennies each time. That's spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Or you can help us out for free and get yourself an audiobook of your choice by signing up for a free 30-day trial with Audible via the link on our website. Audible have the world's largest selection of audiobooks, including John Williams' other books, Augustus and Butcher's Crossing. You can cancel your membership at any time within the 30 days and you won't pay a penny, but you do still get to keep your free audiobook. Just go to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and click on the Audible trial ad on the left-hand side. We get a few quid each time someone signs up via our link, which will help keep our producer Johnny supplied with My Two Dads DVD box sets. Now, back to the show. Do you have any liquor in the house? I've got most desperately to have a drink. (laughs) 
So welcome back to Spoiler, and we're discussing John Williams' uh, not instant classic, uh, but certainly a long-time classic, Stoner. Uh, so as I've said, I've uh, I listened to the audio version of Stoner, and uh, the narration, well, it's all excellent, fitted the tone and timbre uh, just right. Um, although, like the written pages, drags a little in my opinion. So in order to get the kids on board, I've thrown together a remix that will make Calvin Harris very jealous. Says they have a new school at the University in Columbia. They call it a college of agriculture. Says he thinks you ought to go. And that sometime during your sophomore year, you switched your program to literature. Is that correct? When I was a little girl about six years old, I could play the piano. Kiss the bride. Kiss the bride. I want a baby. I think I want to have a baby. Mr. Stoner, you're going too far. You can't mean that. In his 43rd year, William Stoner learned what others much younger had learned before him, that the person one loves at first is not the person one loves at last, and that love is not an end but a process through which one person attempts to know another. It's Lomax, Finch said. Somehow the son of a bitch has got hold of it and he's not about to let go. Just gotta go in there and see what we can find out. The sunlight passing his window shone upon the page, and he could not see what was written there. The fingers loosened, and the book they had held moved slowly and then swiftly across the still body and fell into the silence of the room. Now, if I'd have had that in that fast food car park, the kids would have been right on board with it instead of giving me looks like I'm a dirty old man. (laughs) What do we think? What do we think? Are you number one, number one next week? I think there's potential for a whole series of classic books turned into these things. So do I. I've already seen the pound sign rolling around my eyes. (laughs) <laughs> it was uh, yeah. That was a lot. It was a lot of fun putting putting that together. Actually, anti-speechless. I, I, I know it's <laughs> it's radio. It's a bad time to be speechless, isn't it? But <laughs> got to say that that it was phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yes. you very much. Thank you. I, uh, I was. Do, do you know what? You, I was. I was unsure. I thought. Well, it, 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 it could. It could either be. It could either work. Or I couldn't. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, was that? Oh, hang on a minute. If I just look over there, that's Calvin Harris running for the hill, isn't it? <laughs> On his way. Johnny, Johnny, is that the phone? Is that the phone ringing? Is that Rita Ora wanting to guest appear on that? Oh, Dug a hole for myself. Um, right, okay, well, let's, let's steer ourselves now uh, towards the sinking ship of the end of this novel. And I think, uh, let's talk about Grace. We've not talked about Grace so far uh, and the relationship. Uh, perhaps let you step back a bit, you know, the, the, the Grace had with her dad, which was, I thought was, again, we've used the word. I'm not going to be afraid to say it. I haven't said it yet. You two have. I thought it was quite beautiful the way she just sat around in the office and just reading and, you know, just content, content and happy um, uh, with, with her father in his study. And, and then obviously, you know, with Edith's, uh, let's say issues, um, you know, she, she obviously very, very jealous of that 
relationship and, and and sort of ousted her from that. And at that point, no one stood up to Edith. No one, you know, the, the two people that had the power to. And I was thinking, you could probably do this. You could probably stand up to her. And they, and, and they didn't. And this turned this turned her into a, you know, with a teenage pregnancy uh, and an alcoholic towards the end of her life. I mean, I don't know. It did, did, if there was something I was going to pick a hole in, is that too much? No, I totally agree with that, actually. That was the one bit where I was really cross with him. And I hated his acceptance. I've actually written out a quote um, in the from the book about um, about him being almost happy that she's alcoholic. You know that it, at least she has yeah. the drink. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? This is your daughter. And I was really angry with him about that. And I couldn't quite get past that. I think if I could change anything, I'd change that because I thought, okay, don't stand up for yourself, but stand up for your daughter. I mean, to her credit, when she necked that sherry, she wasn't sick through her nose. <laughs> she wasn't. <laughs> Would it have seemed out of character if it, it stepped in at any point and really kind of it, laid down the law? Do you know what? It probably it is probably the strength. Would. It's one of these things where, you know, you, you get to an ending or a film ending and sometimes you think, oh, I just wish they'd gone for the, the not obvious or the not, you know. I just mm. think, yeah, yeah. I, I, Andy, you're probably right. Yeah. You're changing my mind on something. I mean, the, well, the, I mean, the, the, the kept word I kept using when I was describing Stoner was dignity, mm. but not necessarily strength. I don't think they necessarily mm, go true. hand in hand. And I think mm. he, he's trying to deal with those situations with dignity and he, he doesn't like to necessarily rock the boat, does mm. he? Well, not in a really kind of mm. noticeable way. I mean, later on, he, he does he does a little bit, which is, is one of my favourite parts of the book. <laughs> Are we talking there well, perhaps about the subtlety of how he deals with Lomax? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Because I was, that was, for me, that was one thing that really uh, got to me. I really hated Lomax and I really wanted to, to see him have some kind of triumph over him, which he does in a very small way. But, Again, that this this book is about those kind of those small victories, and I think that that really satisfied me. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad thing that I was angry. He yeah, has to have course, flaws, yeah. you know, yeah. and so it wasn't a bad thing that I got frustrated and annoyed with him. It just made him more human. Mm. So yeah, again, another sign there. I think of the good writing of, of making you care about the character. I think. Mm. Um, so the, the, it was a, it was a, a slow death. Listening to the audio book, it certainly <laughs> felt like a, a long. <laughs> Uh, drawn out slow death which is the the character of the disease he had I suppose mm. but uh, how, how did you feel as you approached those last pages now, sometimes when, I, when I'm when i enjoying a book uh, I, the last few pages last chapter will take me a long time because I don't want it to end is, mm. that, is that the case here? Oh yeah definitely and um, even more so because he was actually dying so you know when you finally get to the end that'll be it mm. and you'll have to say goodbye to him and um, and it was it was such a quiet end as well that when you get to the last bit you think oh Oh, is that it? And it sort of takes you by surprise a little bit, even though it's coming and you know it's coming. I think when that book finally falls from his hand and you're like, oh, okay. And you feel a bit bereft. It's quite a strange feeling. Yeah, is that how you felt, Andy? Um, I I kind of felt the opposite. I I mean, I love this book so much. You were glad he died? Well, uh, (laughs) well, we knew he was going to die. But as soon as as soon as I started hearing about his pain and everything, I just mm. I wanted it to be over mm. quickly. So mm. I mean, I mean, I know that's that's an odd way of looking at it when you're just reading yeah, the book. But it felt like when you know someone who's going through that, and you just you're torn because you want to hang on to them, but you want it to be over for them. And mm. I had sort of twinges of that reading these last pages. Yeah. 
Okay, so everyone hated it then, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, so uh, we'll come back uh, very shortly and uh, see what this episode's scale is and how we're going to uh, score this one. Uh, I've got a blinder. Um, <laughs> now, as we've mentioned, Stoner took nearly half a century to become a bestseller. But it's not alone in taking some time to connect with an audience. Rachel has been taking a look at some other literary late bloomers. When Stoner was first published in the US in 1965, no less than 54,378 books were also released that year. So it's perhaps not so surprising that Stoner got lost in the noise. But Stoner isn't the only classic novel that took its time finding its feet. The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald was first published in 1925 to mixed reviews and poor sales. A year after its release, Gatsby had only sold 20,000 copies, which for a writer like Fitzgerald was considered a total failure. Fitzgerald died 15 years later, believing that Gatsby had been a huge flop and would be largely forgotten. However, Gatsby eventually found an audience during World War II. In 1942, a group of authors, librarians and publishers got together to form the Council on Books in Wartime. Their mission? To send books to the US troops to maintain morale and offer some escapism. 123 million copies of 1,227 titles were distributed, one of which was The Great Gatsby. As the books were read then passed around, it's estimated that during that period Fitzgerald's failed novel was read by close to a million soldiers. Their positive reviews of the novel spread far and wide and created a large audience that remains to this day. Now The Great Gatsby sells half a million copies every year and is an acknowledged classic. Closer to home, a children's book found late success after the mother of a British theatre director recommended it to her son. In 2006, Tom Morris was working at the National Theatre and was looking for a children's story to turn into a play. He wanted something with an animal as a central focus, but could find nothing that excited him. Tom's mother suggested a book she had recently read called War Horse. The book was originally published in 1982, but achieved very poor sales, and the author, Michael Morpurgo, believed that the story would never find its audience. How wrong can you be? Tom loved the book, and along with the incredible puppeteers of Handspring Puppet Company, created one of the most successful plays ever at the National Theatre. A play that so inspired its audience that the novel became a bestseller, and was even adapted for film by Steven Spielberg. Occasionally a novel needs a bit of a boost from a powerful source to get going. Critics said about The Wind in the Willows that grown-up readers will find it monstrous and elusive. Children will hope in vain for more fun. However, President Theodore Roosevelt wrote to the author Kenneth Graham to tell him that he'd read and reread the book many times and that the characters were like old friends. Roosevelt insisted that Scribner published the book in the US and lo and behold, sales took off. Sometimes a book just needs a controversial film to get the sale started. A Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess, who said of his own book that it was one he liked the least, took nine years to take off. The first review of the book by the in-house reader at Heinem and the publisher said, with luck the book will be a big success and give the teenagers a new language. But it might be an enormous flop, certainly nothing in between. And she was right, on both counts. The book was a flop when it was released in 1962, but when the film came out in 1971, the book and the film achieved great success, and both have endured. Finally, a virtually unknown detective tale from 1937 that had not seen the inside of a bookshop in 70 years. Mystery in White, A Christmas Crime Story by J. Jefferson Fargin 
outsold Gone Girl, Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch, and sold out on Amazon last Christmas. Why now? All this little gem needed was some canny republishing of crime classics by the British Library, a renewed interest in the golden age of mystery writing, and some cracking word of mouth from booksellers and readers. Easy. So with all these sleeper hits, the only question remains, where is the next big thing? And has it been under our noses for years? Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Rachel. And now we come to the point where we have our varying scale. Um, It varies from week to week until we find one uh, that sticks. This one, I think, may well be a keeper. May well be a keeper. If you were given this book for free, but then you had to voluntarily part with an amount of money, how much would you pay for it? How about that? That's the best scale we've had yet. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Um, well, I I would have to I would just accept it for free because to me it's priceless. Oh, oh. man alive! I can't no, follow that. Oh, oh, You've ruined my scale. Was <laughs> this is blown I, out the water. Honestly, I, I sat down. I thought, wow, I've, I've come up with the ultimate scale. We're never going to have to think of another one again. No, Andy's ruined it. Foul <laughs> <laughs> swoop! Unbelievable. Rachel, give me a figure, will you? Um, um, I would say a good, ooh, good fifty pounds. Fifty? Yeah, I'd give it fifty. Flipping egg. How much did you go to the tooth fairy? What did you get from the tooth fairy when you were young? <laughs> I put value, uh, books valued far higher than everything else. So, yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to say nine ninety nine, just because, <gasps> just because. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, but I just think you should never pay more than ten pounds for a book. <gasps> I'm always paying more than ten pounds for a book. <laughs> okay, I've nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Burnett. Our theme music was composed by Aaron Butcher, and extracts from the Stone audiobook come from Blackstone Audio, narrated by Robin Field. They all just play the part of who they are. If you've enjoyed the show and you would like to support us, you can go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Click on the donate button and give us whatever you think we're worth. You can also sign up for a free 30-day trial with Audible and get yourself a free audiobook by going to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and clicking on the Audible trial banner on the left-hand side. Alternatively, if you're planning on buying anything from Amazon, do it via the links on our website and we'll get a few pennies commission to keep us supplied with the coffee and cake. Or you can help us out simply by telling your friends about us, sharing links to our show, or writing a nice review on iTunes. And you seem like someone who could Appreciate the fact That I'm no ordinary man Next time on Spoiler It's the end of the series and the end of the world As we examine Von Trier's Melancholia You'd better be goddamn happy I really should be If you'd like to contact us about anything else You can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk Find us on Twitter or Facebook And go to our website spoilerpodcast.co.uk Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hall and is a Joe Schmo production. The show is recorded at the studios of Siren FM in the heart of the beautiful cathedral city of Lincoln. Be gone, be gone, you bloody horse on galls. And you seem like someone who could appreciate the fact that I'm no ordinary man.